Hi everyone, you're listening to another episode of the Style Files podcast. I'm your host, Paloma Contreras, and joining me today is the owner of one of the chicest stores in New York, KRB, Kate Reinstein Brodsky. Kate Reinstein Brodsky grew up in Los Angeles, California. The daughter of decorator Suzanne Reinstein, she grew up immersed in the world of interior design. After graduating from NYU, Kate stayed in New York, working for Jeffrey Bill Huber, Ralph Lauren Home, and El Decor Magazine. In the fall of 2014, Kate opened KRB, offering a curated selection of antiques, vintage furniture, and exclusive home accessories. The store combines the traditions of classical decor with Kate's uniquely charismatic and colorful point of view. Located on East 74th Street in New York, KRB brings a fresh perspective to timeless designs. I, for one, am so looking forward to going back to New York and, of course, paying a visit to the beautifully curated KRB on the Upper East Side to visit with Kate and see what wonderful treasures she's filled her her store with. Today, Kate's going to tell us a little bit about what the impetus was for starting the store, how she goes about curating it in the wonderful way in which she does, and what it was like to not only uh, grow up with her mother, a decorator, but to work for another legendary decorator, as well as some of the most important and iconic institutions in the design industry and how that might have informed her journey and her aesthetic. Kate, we're so excited to speak with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Kate, how are you? I'm good, hi, Paloma. Well, are you um, sheltering in place right now in your gorgeous home in the Hamptons? We are. Uh, we are staying at home, sheltering in place in East Hampton with my husband and my three girls. Oh, that's so nice. How old are your girls now? Uh, my oldest one turns 12 next week. And then my middle daughter is nine and my little one is four. Oh, that, those are fun ages, I think. They mostly are. <laughs> Most days. I'm sure I'm sure having them at home all day long adds a whole new level to things. It it definitely does. Um, I think that in many ways it's been wonderful uh, uh, getting this intense amount of time. And I think everyone's getting along really well, considering <laughs> that it's a lot of togetherness. But every once in a while... You know, everything starts to unravel and we just have one of those days where I kind of want to hit the reset button. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Well, congratulations on the incredible feature in Architectural Digest this month. Your home is so charming and beautiful and I can tell it's just full of personality and it's such a reflection of you and your family. Well, thank you so much. I have been overwhelmed and so pleased with the beautiful story they did. Um, it's a special place to me and to my family, and it was fun to get to share it. Well, good. Could you tell us a little bit about the process of finding this particular house and decorating it? Totally. Um, my husband grew up coming out to East Hampton with his family, and it's always been a really special place for him. And we had spent a lot of time out here with my in-laws uh, and my my husband's siblings and cousins, um, and we're kind of would sometimes look for a house, not really. Uh, I I have this affinity and this deep need that baffles my husband. I love a really intense renovation, 
and I love an old house and I've always seemed to be drawn to the one thing that nobody wants. And we saw this house from 1901 and it was so quirky and had so many um, issues. It didn't have a foundation and it was non-conforming to the lot and did, did all these funny things that make it difficult to deal with in East Hampton. And I was about six months pregnant with our third child. And I was like, this is it. And he was like, really? This is it? I was like, this is it. <laughs> and he was like, okay. And we bought the house and spent almost three years renovating it. Um, with, I was so lucky. Um, the architects we used, Dick Boris and James Sharon. Uh, this is the second time we'd worked with them. And it was just, I mean, I liked the process. It was long, but it was wonderful. And um, I feel like we really tried to honor the spirit of the house um, and make something that was appropriate for the age and not too fancy, and but really work for a, a family of three. I'm sorry, three children. Sorry, we're not three. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since you've been a family of three. Uh, yes, it has. <laughs> but we're really spoiled. You know, I live... Uh, we live across the street from Alex's sister. She has a house across the street and his brother has a house around the corner. His cousin has a house down the street. It's very family oriented. I mean, usually right mm -hmm. now sheltering in place, we like wave at them from like 20 feet away. <laughs> yeah. Well, that sounds so nice. And um, you incorporated color. It seems like in every, every inch of the house, which I love. I, I love color. Uh, I always have, and um, it was just a really, it was a chance to kind of use it as a, as a canvas to, to bring in color. One of the interesting things about the house, though, is as colorful as it seems, a lot of the walls are actually white, and a lot of the color is on the floor, mm -hmm. um, which was my way of trying to keep it calm enough and kind of clear enough while still making it vibrant and joyful. And you painted the floors in most of the rooms. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the floors were sort of an unfortunate sort of orangey color. Mm -hmm. And I said, Alex, I said, we're going to, that's my husband. I said, I'm, we're going to paint all the floors. And he's like, you're going to paint the wood. I said, can you do that? I'm like, indeed you can. And the alternative is to replace all the floors. He's like, so let's paint all the floors. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and some of them are solid paints, just a solid, some of them are, you know, satin, some of them are high gloss. Some of them were painted by Chris Pearson, who's a wonderful decorative painter in New York. Some of them were painted by Bob Christian, who's a wonderful decorative painter mm -hmm. in Savannah. Um, it, you know, I really got to dive deep into my fantasy file. Do you have a favorite room in the house? Mm, it might be the pink sunroom. It is unbelievably flattering, the light in there. You just look good. It's a very pale pink, and there's a lot of other pink colors in there, but everyone just sits there and you're like, wow, I'm having a, you know, my skin looks good. Everyone seems happy. It's like a mood lifter. Um, so that might be my favorite. I can see why. Is that the room with the 17 foot sofa? That is the room with the 17 foot sofa. Okay. Tell us about that. I was looking at this, this house is wonderful, but it, and it's 23 feet wide. And so it's at most, you know, one room 
wine. Um, and I was trying to figure out how to treat it, how to deal with it. I'm not a designer. And it takes me a lot longer to kind of solve problems that I think a designer decorator would figure out quite quickly. And I kept looking through all of these books and these inspirations. I kept seeing, kept going back to these rooms that Jeffrey Bill Huber had done, who I had worked for out of college. And he had all these crazy long banquettes and sofas. And I was like, I think that's the answer. So I had no idea how to really do that and make it work proportionally. And I called my mother and she's like, I have no idea. She's like, I've never done a sofa that long. She said, why don't you call Jeffrey? Which is what I did. And I called Jeffrey mm -hmm. and he explained to me how to make it not look crazy. <laughs> so what's the secret? It's a very, I, I would have to find the notes, but I have them. It's a very specific formula. He dropped, he, he encouraged me to sort of drop the platform that the cushion sits on by an inch or two and make the actual cushion a little bigger. Mm -hmm. All these little tweakings of proportion that helped make it feel not insane. Right. Like, that makes sense. You really have to adjust the overall sort of the perception of the scale and trick the eye a little bit 100%. to make it work. Yeah. Totally. Well, I've never done a 17 foot sofa, but it sounds incredible. It's, it's kind of wonderful. You know, it, it, what ends up happening is everyone loves that room. And so, you know, my husband will go there on a weekend and, stretch out and try and take a nap after lunch and one or two of the girls will pile on to the middle and read a book or it's, you know, a bunch of the cousins will come over and they'll watch a movie and it's room for everyone. That's so great. And that's what you want, especially in a room like that where the, the vibe is a little bit more casual and it's really meant for hanging out as a family. There's a, a place for everyone to lounge and, and be together comfortably. Totally. Well, speaking of Jeffrey, I spoke with him recently. He was one of my first podcast podcast guests and he spoke really highly of you and how much he loves you and your use of color. And he mentioned to me that you were one of a long slew of big famous names that had worked for him, which was um, a surprise for me because I, I didn't realize that all of these different people had worked for him at one time. But tell us a little bit about that experience because he is so incredibly brilliant and he's such a character. So I'd love to hear what that was like for you and what you've learned, what you learned during that process that you carry with you today from him. Well, I love Jeffrey very much. He's still a dear friend. Um, and it was, it was, such a, it was such an interesting experience. I really came out of it. I worked for him for about a year feeling like I could do anything because I, I feel like he makes you feel like that. He, you know, he asks, he does ask a lot of you, but he says, I believe that you can do this. And you go, I can do this. Um, <sighs> but from a design point perspective, it was really eye opening for me to see the process you know, I, I, my mother's an interior designer and I'd always watched her and, but for some reason, I just sort of assumed that every idea she had sort of sprang, sprung fully formed out of her head. It didn't occur to me that there was sort of inspiration and pulling from different places and watching Jeffrey work was really wonderful and so fun to see, you know, he'd pull, he'd open it up. He had a huge library of books and he'd 
have all these books open and be pulling different things, not to copy, but to kind of, you know, extrapolate from, you know, whether it was a, mm-hmm. a pattern on a plate that became a nail head detail or, uh, you know, the color of a sofa that inspired a paint color. I mean, he, he just, it was wonderful to watch him and to see how many different things he was inspired by and that you might not pull, you might not think, you know, just so many different time periods um, that, and also I just loved organizing the sample room. It's like my favorite thing just to be with all those fabrics and get to see all these different things and all these different sources. It's where I discovered Tillet textiles. Um, mm. I did not know about Tillet and it blew my mind. And I remember calling my mother and being like, mommy, do you know about this? She's like, yes. She's like, they're a great, ama- it's like a great American prince. I'm like, well, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of your mother, she's obviously the legendary decorator, Suzanne Reinstein. And you mentioned, you touched a little bit on the fact that, you know, you'd grown up watching her working as a decorator and um, obviously have a love of design. I'm sure that was just genetic in some way. Tell us a little bit about growing up with a mother who was a designer and then also, you know, why you chose the path of shop owner and being a creative entrepreneur in that way, rather than becoming an interior designer and following in her footsteps. Uh, Well, I had a very wonderful childhood. The, one of the upsides of being an only child is that my parents took me almost everywhere with them. And I saw an enormous amount of English and Italian gardens by the time I was 16 or 17. I did not retain nearly as much as I would like, but I got to go to so many wonderful places. Um, I loved having, you know, not only was my, is my mother a, a designer, but she also for 30 years had a store and Hollyhock. Right. And I loved it. I loved going there after school. It's where I would get dropped off from carpool. I loved working there in my breaks. I loved, you know, wrapping presents and putting stamps on postcards when they used to snap postcards for shows and things. I just, I think what it really did was spark in me a love of retail. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as far as growing up with a mother who's a designer, I, I feel like sometimes uh, Elizabeth Pine, who I've known since I was 16, and I talk about this and sort of like the funny, quirky things that your designer mother says can happen and can't. And the the thing I always think of with my mother is there was not, there was no chance on earth that posters were going to be hung in my room. And I just remember complaining bitterly about it. And she said, fine, you can hang posters on the inside of your closet door. Uh, <laughs> she's not having it. Uh, That's so funny. She was really good about engender- in, engendering in me a love of collecting, which also benefited her. You know, uh, when I was probably starting when I was about five or six, she always used to take me with her to all these sort of smaller antique fairs and, you know, in and around Los Angeles. And she said, we, we're going to start a collection for, for you of miniature watering cans, uh, which sounds insane, but was actually genius because somewhere in those booths of, of like a hundred, 150 booths, 
someone would have some small little miniature watering can and I would spend like three hours looking for a miniature watering can while my, while my mother got to slowly peruse the booths at her leisure. <laughs> that, that's actually pretty genius. <laughs> she gave you something really obscure to keep you busy, but how many did you end up with oh, yeah. watering cans? Quite a few? I yeah. probably have about 11. I, they're still wrapped. Mm-hmm. They're still at her house, but you know, some would be little. You know, some would be copper and fine. Some would just be. Some would not be fine at all. Well, you know, I think I have a porcelain one, but they were just sort of charming. Yeah. Well, for those listening, if you're not familiar, um, Kate's mother's store was Holly Hawk was on La Cienega in Los Angeles, as she said, for thirty years, and it was just the. And I don't know if that was the original location. Was she there? She started out. She started out on Larchmont, which is a little mm-hmm. street in Hancock Park, and then eventually moved to Hilldale near La Cienega, and then finally to La Cienega. And she was in each place for about ten years. Okay, it was such a charming shop. I mean, truly the most beautiful, beautiful store, and it had that lovely courtyard. The last time I was in LA, I stopped by a couple of showrooms on La Cienega and I was so heartbroken to see how much the street has changed the landscape has changed tremendously so many of the showrooms are gone and then to see that your mom's former shop is now I think like a CBD store or like a dispensary or something was just like a dagger to the heart (laughs) I don't think I realized that that's I you know yeah, it's like the worst thing that could have gone in there. Retail is, as you know, is it's crazy. It's hard. Yeah, for sure. Well, so did you always know then that you were destined to be a creative entrepreneur or that, you know, you would eventually pursue retail? I think a part of me did. I didn't, don't think I quite knew what direction I wanted to go in. When, when I was a teenager, my fantasy was always to have a bookstore. Um, I have always loved retail and I really enjoyed that. Um, and I loved books and I still love books. And I really thought, you know, I'll have a bookstore. Well, we all know that it's, it's, I feel like it's slightly better now than it was for a period of time, but bookstores are a hard business to be in. And it became clear that, um, I wasn't going to do that. Uh, right. uh, I think things are coming a little bit full circle now. I, I wouldn't necessarily advise someone if they said, hey, I have an idea for a bookstore. Should I do this? I would say, well, proceed with caution and make sure you have a really solid plan that's going to make your your thing super unique and special. But um, I do think that with Amazon being around for as long as it has, things are sort of coming back around. The pendulum is swinging back where people aren't as fascinated with having things instantly and they don't need the world at their fingertips. They want storytelling and curation and things that are unique and one of a kind. And so perhaps, you know, born, a, a cool bookstore could be born out of that need and desire. And I do think that um, that's part of what makes your store so special is that it is so incredibly well curated. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of the things that you have in there are one of a kind to the degree that they're either antique vintage or they are um part of special collaborations that you've you've worked on with individual artisans we we really try i really try um i want to be able to be a resource for people and i also think as you said people 
if they're not going to have instant gratification, it sort of has to appeal to another part of their senses, <laughs> whether it's tactile right. touch or just visual pleasure. Um, I think those things are really Im- have become more important. I also think that there's a real desire for the handmade, uh, whether that's drawings or paintings or beautifully blown glass or handmade ornaments and um, or just beautifully made furniture. I think people are, are willing to wait for the handmade. I agree. So you didn't end up with a bookstore, but you did end up with the most beautiful jewel box of a store on the Upper East Side in New York called KRB, your initials. How was the idea originally born for this? Well, I knew by the time I was out of college that I wanted to work in the decorative arts. I didn't quite know how. I didn't, I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a a decorator. I didn't think I did, but I didn't know how else to be involved in, in the world. So I took a class at New York School of Interior Design, um, New York School of Interior Design on, I think, furniture periods. And that's when I started working for Jeffrey. Um, and after that, I did a short stint with Ralph Lauren doing PR for their, in their home department, which was very interesting. And then I went to work at El Decor. And each of these experiences kind of gave me a a little more of a sense of what my favorite things were about design and the decorative arts. And it just, it, I was like, I think I'm, I'm meant to turn into my mother. Um, I'm meant to have a, I'm meant to have a design store. Um, I loved it. And I, I loved it growing up and I love it now. I am one of those weird people who loves retail and my mother spent about, I would say four to six months being like, I don't think you should do this. Do you really want to do this? You have young children. Are you sure you want to do this? She said, you know, it's retail jail. Are you sure you want to do this? And I finally turned to her and I said, mommy, I'm going to do this whether you think I should or not. She said, okay, well then I have some thoughts. Um, (laughs) So once I convinced her that I was going to do it, she was, she was very helpful. Um, what do you think have been some of the, the bigger challenges of being a specialty retailer? I think one of the biggest challenges is working with your customer and they have been trained by certain companies, say Amazon or whatever, that shipping should be free. I can't afford to give free shipping, um, especially not for some of the larger, you know, I certainly can't do it on pieces of furniture, but even, right. you know, some of the smaller things that are really fragile, that's not, I'm not able to make my business plan work like that. And so sometimes people are aghast to find that shipping is not inexpensive. <laughs> We've ha- we have that happen all the time where someone will be interested in a piece of furniture, you know, an antique yeah. commode or something like that. And then we have to provide a shipping quote which we do and we always recommend a white glove shipper because we obviously want it to be handled properly and to arrive um, unscathed and you know if you're in San Francisco and you're buying from us in Texas well it's not going to be inexpensive and I can't tell you how often people are surprised at the the price it's true sort of it's true um definitely and it's you know we try to prepare them but it is it is you know getting a several hundred 
pound piece of furniture moved around the country safely intact and un- unscathed is logistical, logistically intense. And the cost reflects mm-hmm. that. Definitely. Well, conversely, what do you love most about owning a store? I love getting to help people. I really enjoy helping uh, customers. I love sort of putting together moments in the store and putting together all these vignettes, which has become a much more important part of the business than I ever thought it would have been because of Instagram. Uh, So I I feel like I'm always putting together these moments and it's so much fun because it doesn't have to exist in real life. It can just, it can just exist for the moment. And it doesn't matter that, you know, perhaps that lamp is a little larger for that table than I might like it in real life. It looks good. The colors work. It looks fabulous next to the piece of art I hung it with. And it, you know, it just, the whole, you get to have just a moment. Definitely. I agree with that. And I also like that you sort of get to the finish line more quickly when you're helping a customer in the store versus, you know, working with a design client, you help them to find what it is that they want and put things together and then they're out the door and they're happy and it's on to the next one. So there's some sort of gratification in that and that you can, you can help them and make an impact as quickly as you can, um, in retail versus a full-scale design situation. I totally agree. Well, and you're so great at storytelling. I love watching your tours of the store where you walk us around the shop and show us the different pieces that have come in and how they're arranged. You have such a knack for that. Thank you. I I do love that. It's something I've really been missing while we've been sheltering at home is sort of getting the chance to go in and talk about all the fun things we have. Yeah. Well, and it's so great that you have e-commerce because your store, you know, it, it's something that everyone, if you're, if you visit New York, once we can all travel again, you have to go visit KRB. It truly is just the most beautiful little space with the yeah. most incredible use of color um, and such special pieces that you won't find anywhere else. But it's hard, you know, it, it's one thing to step into the shop and experience it in person. And it's very different to have the same experience online. But I, I do think you curate your website so beautifully. And I'm sure you've been happy to have it in this time where we can't, you know, operate totally. normally. We actually don't. We The only thing you can buy from our website is our candle. We will, all of the, our information is on our website, the pictures, the tear sheets. But to actually complete the sale, you need to either email us or call. Um which I, see. I go back and forth about whether we should keep it that way or not. But I do think that, especially with so many one-of-a-kind items, it really helps to have a, 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 a conversation with one of my employees about the piece, you know, and, then, and, the, and that might be the way that you realize it's the perfect piece or that it is not as tall or as you think it is because you can't quite tell the scale or, you know despite all the information being there, it can often be hard to, I think it can be quite hard to buy a piece without seeing it in person. Mm-hmm. That's that's a really good point, actually. And I do think, especially when you have things that are more unique or one of a kind, and then going back to your point about, you know, shipping, whether it's an antique piece of furniture or a very delicate you know Francis Palmer vase or something like that you really have to have that conversation and educate the customer as to what it is totally and sometimes it's just sending them one more picture of the chair 
with some, an actual person sitting in it, you know, or, or showing them sure. the Francis Palmer vase uh, with something next to it for scale. I always like to use a bottle of champagne for scale because I think it's fun <laughs> and funny and it's more elegant than a Coke can. Um, but you, it's, it's often hard to, to tell the scale of objects and pictures. I agree with that. And, you know, even seasoned professionals, I feel like even for designers, it's sometimes hard to fully capture the scale of a piece. Like lighting, for instance, I think is one that's tricky for people where they might read the dimensions on a tear sheet, but then actually seeing it in person, the scale might feel so much Mm -hmm. beefier, if you will. So you have to be careful. I think that's really smart to, to, have that engagement with the customer and and walk them through the process and really educate them on what it is that they're purchasing. So what's currently inspiring you? Where do you turn for inspiration? Uh, well, of course, I mean, I think books, Instagram. Um, I think most of the time, one of the things that I find most inspiring is just going out and being in the world, going into stores, going into other people's stores uh, in New York or going going to people's houses, seeing how they live. I think that's always inspiring. Right now, while we're sheltering in place, I would say the thing that is the most inspiring to me is the garden. I bet. That's got to be really nice. I'm sure those who are still in the city or have been in the city this entire time are wishing that they could spend a little bit more time outdoors. Totally. As someone who grew up in California, which is, you know, beautiful and wonderful, but there, it's not all about the seasons. You know, it, it's more, there's right. That's just basically one long season. And <laughs> then having spent the last 20 years living in New York city where you do get the seasons, but it's sort of more like, and then one day all the tulips bloomed. It's been really fun to walk outside and every, you know, every morning with my cup of coffee and go, there's another leaf on that plant. <laughs> sort of that, that wonderful slowness. Mm. Uh, and sort of acknowledging it and seeing it or or seeing or finding things that I didn't plant must have been planted by another, a previous owner and going, oh, look, there's Lily of the Valley under there. And it's kind of this wonderful discovery. Well, you mentioned your apartment briefly in New York and it was published. Um, it was published, was it published in El Decor. About El Decor, that's right. So it was in El Decor, and then One Kings yeah. Lane did a big feature on it, I remember, with a few different photographs. And it's such a beautiful space, again, full of color. It has a different vibe than your house in the Hamptons. It's certainly a little bit more formal, but still family friendly. And I love that art installation that you Thank have in you. your living room. That entire room is just Thank divine. You. But I heard you, um, I think you were on Jeffrey Bill Huber's Instagram live the other day. And did I hear you say that you're finding uh, a new apartment? Yes. Yes. I totally let the cat out of the bag. Um, which is, we are moving about five blocks away to a new apartment. Um, and okay. it's very exciting. Um, and I didn't really think we would be moving again, but we are. And we are moving into another estate condition apartment because I love a project, but we're going to live in it for a while before we do anything. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you envision it being different from your current apartment? 
I think that it'll have a similar feel. I'm really, I really love the way our apartment feels. Uh, It's a good mix of, has enough glamour uh, to make me happy and feel city. I feel like that's, that's what I think really separates our apartment in the city from the house in East Hampton is that the city feels glamorous or I think it feels glamorous. So I want to achieve that feeling again, but maintain being fairly family friendly. You know, I always say it's, it's, there's sort of levels of activity you can do in different rooms. I am so happy to have my children right. in, in my living room. Uh, but I expect their behavior to be appropriate for it. It's like, if you would like to come read your book in the living room or play cards, let's do it. If you would like to use markers, you need to go to the kitchen or <laughs> your own room because markers don't belong in the living room. Well, thank you for saying that because I always feel like it's co- a controversial opinion that I can't mm. openly express mm. because I don't have children. And I, you know, I feel like clients tend to fall into one of two camps. Either they're like you and they set parameters. And of course, kids are going to be kids and they allow them to have creative freedoms, but there are designated areas totally. where you should use certain materials. And then there are others who, you know, sort of let the kids rule the roost, if you will. And there aren't, there are no rules or parameters at all. And I always want to be like, you need to teach your children to, to live with and appreciate nice things, but I never say it. I always just sort of tiptoe around it and sure, we'll use a perennials fabric on the sofa because your kid's going to write on it. Um, but I, I love that your children understand that. And and I do think that there's a value in that. I, I hope that people don't no. come after me with torches after I've said this. But, you know, it, I grew up that way. Sure. I had designated areas in the house where I could play and where I would do my homework. And I didn't really go in the living room very much. And I survived. I, I, listen, I'm totally with you. That's I how fine. I grew up, too. I also think <laughs> instead of I always say to people, instead of thinking about it as a, a place where your kids can't go or that they are restricted from doing things. I think of it as a place that's more for me. Like I, our living room is a place for my husband and myself to spend time and to sit at the end of the day and like have a drink, catch up. Uh, it's, it's for our, it's for my pleasure. <laughs> and, you know, have people over and entertain mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I expect the curls to respect that. Now, I, I have to be totally honest. It doesn't always work out that way. There is about an 18-inch long red marker mark on the flip side of my sofa cushion. And my children, who can sometimes fight a lot, are completely united in the fact that they claim that no one knows anything about it. No, oh, wow. I was no like, <laughs> they're just they're like, I have no idea how that happened. Nope, no idea. You know, because they know they're not supposed to be in there with markers. So, but it happens. I think also the flip side of it, because I I do, I have, we have zones and and I, we still have a formal dining room and we do eat in there uh, with the kids. We eat breakfast with them every single morning in there and we try and do family dinner a couple nights a week. (laughs) Now that we're staying at home, we do every meal together. Um, Mm -hmm. But... It's, I don't know. I think zones of expectation. And, but at the same time, you have to kind of take a deep breath and go, you know, there's an 18 inch red marker mark. It's okay. I'm gonna flip the cushion over. <laughs> right. 
Well, and it's also kind of sweet that I think it speaks to the, the level of closeness between the sisters that no one gave the other one up. You know, they, they kept a united front. I know, I really thought I was going to break another. them. Not. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Maybe it'll come exactly. out at one of their rehearsal dinners one day. Well, speaking of your children, you have, you know, your three beautiful daughters. It must be challenging. How do you balance owning the store, which, you know, retail is a demanding profession and there are a lot of hours involved with raising Well, I think because I grew up with a mother who had a store, I, I had some ideas of how I would, how I would balance it. I think one of the nice things about having a store for children, is it's a very concrete identity profession. It's not, it's not abstract. I'm not you know, making business deals over the phone in some, or, you know, off in some obscure place. I am on the, I'm on 74th street between park and Lex while they're at school. That's where I am. Um, and I think the things that allow me a little bit of balance are one, I have a wonderful, wonderful team at the store and a wonderful, wonderful manager who I could not do it without. And just having to be a little bit flexible with my own expectations as well. You know, sometimes I will get a call, you know, and chaos will be raining and there will be a lot of tears and I will go home or someone gets sick in the middle of the day and I will go pick them up. And I'm, I, you know, I live so close to, I live, you know, a block away from the store and um, it allows me a lot of flexibility. And I'm really lucky that I'm able to do that. And also sometimes it's, it doesn't balance out. Sometimes it's an epic flaming fail and like, I'm, you know, not doing, things are not going the way I want them to go at work. And my children are all angry at me. And, you know, sometimes it's just, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's really bad. (laughs) I think we can all relate to that. I mean, things don't always go swimmingly. We're lucky to be in business for ourselves and to have some flexibility, but you know, it's a struggle. Everybody's trying to, to manage multiple things at one time. And some days are great and others are a little bit crazier and more challenging. And it's nice to hear that, um, you know, we're all sort of in a similar boat, but you make it Thank look you. effortless, Kate. It's like, like I'm a duck. I'm on the surface. The legs are paddling really quickly <laughs> underneath the water. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything people might be surprised uh, to learn about you? Hmm. I mean, I have a lot of like kind of old lady habits, you know, I like to needlepoint and I don't knit anymore, but I can knit and I like to watercolor. Um, I think, I don't think I'm that unpredictable. I think I'm pretty, I think I'm not that exciting. <laughs> well, I dependable. That. I, no, I definitely am dependable. dependable. Yes. <laughs> no, that's a, a definitely a good quality to have and it means it just means that you're an be. open book yeah um so speaking of going back to your style i always associate the most beautiful shades of green with your homes and your store and i, I think you have even a have a green car, car. I do. is that right it is my favorite is it your color favorite? It must be your and favorite color. um i just i it also happens to be my mother's favorite color, which she always reminds me. Uh, but it's funny. We, we, 
apply it in different ways. Green to me is a neutral. It is, it is the color of the outside is the color of the natural world. There is such a wide variety of greens. Um, and I think it's a color that really helps knit other colors together. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it totally. almost works as a neutral in certain shades. So you also mm-hmm. use a lot of jewel tones. I always think of the store as typically dressed in, you know, different aubergine and peacock blue and moss green colors. And I'm sure you throw mm-hmm. in something like a fun chartreuse and it just, it's changing all the time. Obviously it's an evolving space, but I always think of these rich, bold jewel tone colors. What is your color? Well, philosophy? I think that, I think that color in a store is just, is for me, it's fun. And I, and I love putting it all together and, you know, I think also I hang out with the 12 and under set a lot. I'm like, I've never met a rainbow. I'm fully indoctrinated into like the world of rainbows and I've never met a rainbow that I didn't kind of get behind. Um, so I love having a wide variety of color and I think it, it works in the store and it, and I can really indulge that kind of cacophony of color. Um, but it's one of those interesting things. You pull some of these colors that seem so intense out of that, that situation and you put them, I mean, aubergine is another one that can really sit down in a certain situation, you know, with different things, even with like a black and a white color palette. If you put some aubergine in there, it doesn't even become a pop of color. It becomes like a layer of color. Uh, and I think that the way I approach color is always in layers and, t- and adding more tones and, and kind of, you know, in, like when you watercolor or the way I was taught to watercolor, you know, you, you add, you do one wash and then you can go in and add another one and you can keep building up the layers of color to create the density that you want. And I think that that's a great way to use color in interiors. Uh, you know, whether it's layering in a number of different greens or blues or uh, different, even in color like red, if it's, if it's showing the color in different textures can be another way of layering it, but you know, to have it in a matte fabric and then again in a shiny surface or anything like that. I think that it's, um, I think it's a way to please your eye too. Definitely. Well, you know, back to Jeffrey, he stated something along the lines of color is confidence, you know, being able to use color is, is confident. It means that you're confident in what you're doing and you both use it with such a deft hand. Um, What are some of your indispensable design? I think with design, I think it's always, you've got to get the background right first. Uh, Whether that means putting in, whether that means white walls and a seagrass rug, uh, you know, to set the scene or, or if that's like egg yolk, yellow lacquer and a stone floor. Uh, I think that those, the backdrop is often the architectural details. I think if you, if you have those sort of set, I think it lets you, let's at least for me, it lets me be more playful with sort of interiors and colors. Right. Totally. So getting the foundation right. As far as like pieces of furniture, that, yeah. I have never met a pedestal that I did not want to buy. I, I mean, and Ani who runs the store is sometimes like, she's like, 
you bought another one. Um, they're so wonderful. <laughs> I think they give you, you put a plant on it, put a bust on it, put a vase on it. I think they give you these like little moments of drama and they can also help you achieve symmetry and, you know, you can put lamps on them. I feel like they're like just this great little versatile trick in the decorating world that you can bring out and pop in. I love that. Is it tough for you sometimes shopping for the store when you're, you know, buying antiques and one of a kind things? Do you ever fall in love with pieces Occasionally. and have a hard time letting them go? Um, and sometimes things do migrate over to, to my apartment, uh, you know, just, just to see if they'll fit. <laughs> um, but I think that one of the things right. I love most about having a store is the opportunity to buy things that don't fit into my home environments that I love, but I have no place for, you know, whether that's like a 17th century Spanish table, which they, we had this fabulous one in the store, I think like a year and a half ago. So wonderful, so chic, so fabulous, great proportions. No place in my life for that. So fun to be able to buy it for the store and find it a new home. Um, so I enjoy that too. I also enjoy getting to recover as much furniture as I want and being like, I am going to cover a pair of slipper chairs in seafoam green silk file. This is not something that I could, I mean, my children definitely would destroy that in about two seconds. But in my fantasy life, <laughs> I am here for that. In my fantasy boudoir. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's so great. It's it's true. You're right. You can design for that fantasy life without having to commit mm. to those things. That's the fun part of being a decorator too, is, you know, you can decorate a Georgian while you're doing a low slung contemporary, like mid-century house and have all of these different moods, but you don't actually have to yeah, go exactly. through the, trouble of like the, the best of all worlds. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you could go back in time, is there a piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? I don't know. I, you know, I, I think maybe I would just um, probably tell myself that I would find a way, find, like I'd find my lane, you know, I, that I'd, I'd find my path. Cause I think, you know, it's always hard when you're, it certainly was hard for me when I was in college because there, it took me a really long time to figure out how I was going to knit together all of the things that I was interested in because I was not meant to be an art historian or, you know, I'm just not scholarly enough to, to, you know, work in an auction house um, as much as I admire those things. And, you know, I don't, I just took me a while to find my, to figure out how I was going to, knit all these things together. Well, and I also think that you're so smart to have taken the approach that you did. And at the time, you may have felt like you weren't sure what you wanted to do or what was the right fit. But in hindsight, I'm sure you probably feel like, you know, having worked in a designer's office at a publication, um, in PR at Ralph Lauren, you know, a big corporation as iconic as that one, those things I'm sure 
informed not only your eye, your aesthetic, but also helped refine your business acumen because you were able to experience the design business. And it so definitely many gave facets. me a great perspective uh, on how different businesses work and how different management styles are. And it was certainly interesting. Yeah. Well, and you landed where you were meant to. That's for sure. I opened in it. How it, long have you I had opened the store, store in October of 2014. So it will be six years this fall. Thank you. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. That's so awesome. Well, as you know, Kate, we're recording this conversation in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. So we're all at home. What has this experience taught you? And have you found I think this experience has taught me that um I can be a little quieter and a little less frenetic um you know we I live such a busy life in the city and the children have so many activities and school obligations um and Alex and I have a lot of friends and which are wonderful uh but it's been nice to slow down and I think we play a lot of uno that's the game of choice in this house. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. it, it's good I for, for the wide variety of fun. ages we have. Um, and I think that slowing down, yeah. just goes also going back to the gardening and being able to watch. I literally sit around and watch plants grow. I mean, I know that sounds ridiculous. I'm like, I'm like it, it, it's got another <laughs> leaf. I'm like, that looks like it might be a flower, uh, which is not something I was really able to do before. So that has been a silver lining. Yeah. It, it does feel like a gift in some ways for those of us that, you know, are very fortunate and have not had the illness, the mm -hmm. virus affect our loved ones and, you know, are safe at home and are still employed. All of those yeah. wonderful things, which are such blessings, especially right now. Um, <laughs> where was I going with this? I just lost my train of thought. Um, no, so it, it's felt like a, like a gift to have that extra time mm -hmm. to sort of reflect on the world a little bit more and to reflect on life. Because like you said, in our day to day, our typical day to day is, is so frenetic, just running from one thing to the next. Do you think that moving forward, you'll, you'll I try think, to I slow think your pace probably down will. I mean, I, I think that, you know, another thing that I think both my husband and I have been reflecting on a lot is how lucky we are to be able to stay home, to have, you know, someplace to shelter in place outside of the city. I mean, we're very, very lucky. Um, I, I, don't, I think this is gonna be an unpopular opinion, but I don't see us traveling a lot for the next couple of years. I mean, I, in the sense of like, just trying to be a little slower in that way, um, I'm desperate to go to Los Angeles and see my mother. I have never in my entire life gone this long without seeing her and it is killing me. Um, and as soon as, as it is safe to do so, I plan on going to see her, but I don't know. Other than that, I feel like I kind of just, I want to nest, you know, watch, watch my, watch yeah. my green plants grow. Well, I'm a terrible gardener and I have no idea why That's I keep so seeing the green plants. It's because there's, I'm like, they're literally plants. I'm like, I have no idea what this is. No idea. 
There, exactly. But it grew a new leaf today. <laughs> well, Kate, as we wrap this up, I'll ask you one last question. What is currently giving you hope in the world of design? Or I mean, otherwise? I think spring is giving me hope. It's the, it's the continual rebirth. Um, I think, I mean, I am a total Instagram addict and I, Instagram does give me hope. And I, I do like seeing what my friends and colleagues and the people that I'm just friends with on Instagram or who maybe are not my friends, but I think are my friends, um, you know, <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean in a, okay, it sounds silly, but I, I, I like seeing what people are doing. Um, I always love following Christopher Spitzmiller, who is a dear friend because progress every day. He's also, I would like to say my gardening guru. Exactly. He encourages me not to be afraid to do things. And when I do plant something, he's like, you know, you can just move it if you don't like where it is. And that was like mind blowing for me. <laughs> you know, I, I chatted with him recently. In fact, um, his podcast no. episode just just went live and he he said something similar in that conversation. And it was sort of mind blowing to me because, you know, you see Chris a lot more than I do, obviously, but. I just get the impression that because he does everything so beautifully and he grows these incredible dahlias the size of your head and the orchids and the garden on all of these things that he would be so meticulous and such a perfectionist about it. But he was so laid back and was just kind of like, you figure it out, you know, just don't overwater things. You figure out what works for you. Like you said, move it. If it doesn't work in that place, try it somewhere else. Me too. I found that really refreshing and encouraging. uh, Chris is always, you know, he's like, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I'm like, that's right. Sometimes it doesn't work. Well, that's a, a good place to end. I think it's yep. a good life advice. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And you figure well, out. Mama, thank you so much for having me on. I really next. appreciate you <laughs> thinking of me and taking the time to talk with me. Of course, Kate, it's been such a pleasure having you. I've had such fun chatting with you and learning more about your path. And uh, I hope to be able to come up to New York, hopefully sooner rather than later and and see you at your beautiful shop. You too. Have a great day. Well, take good care. That was shop owner and creative entrepreneur, Kate Reinstein Brodsky. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to visit us online at thestylefilespodcast.com where you can find more episodes featuring inspiring conversations with creatives. You can listen directly on our website, but please, please, please subscribe via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. You can also follow along at Paloma Contreras Design where I will be sharing the news of our most recently released episodes. If you're enjoying the style files, please consider leaving us a positive rating or review. It will only take a few seconds of your time and it will make a big difference for us. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.